I've really been on a pretty amazing journey for myself, and hopefully you guys are getting something out of this, but I really started digging in to, uh, hey, what does it actually mean, and what does it actually say versus what have I been taught my whole life? Does that make sense? And so it's been fascinating, because I've gone back to the early church fathers, and very interesting, they teach something very different than what most of you and I were taught. Very different. And so... um, but I would just ask you this, is, just, is this a possibility that, uh, who, who knew the Bible better than anybody in Jesus' times? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, did the, did the sinners, the tax collectors, most of them were Gentiles, did they even read the Bible? No. And who missed Jesus the most? Who didn't understand him, even though they knew every word in scripture? Pharisee, the guy who knew the Bible better than anybody. And the sinners saw who he actually was. Does that make sense? And so, is it just possible that you've, we, us collectively have missed some of who Jesus actually is? Is, just, is that a possibility? Does that make sense? I, for me, I say yes. And so, because scripture says this, Hebrew, this is how you have to interpret scripture in my opinion. Hebrews 10 says the old covenant, the law, the Psalms and the prophets were what? Types and shadows of good things to come. Right? So when you see death in the old covenant, is that a good thing to come? No, like when 3,000 people were killed when the old covenant was given at Mount Sinai, what is, the, what is that a shadow of? What do you think? If it's gotta be good, what would be the flip side of death? Life. So when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, 3,000 people lived. And I see a lot of people living in old covenant stories going, look at God's this and that. And I go, no, those were types and shadows of good things to come. It says the law written and engraved on stones caused death, but the spirit gives life. Does that make sense? So you can't take, here's what I'm just challenging you is, um, is it possible that we've missed how good Jesus and the father actually are? If everybody that knew the Bible missed him hundred percent, is it possible that we, we kind of had a veil that we didn't see how good he was actually? See, I'm confident of this, is uh, when I get to heaven, people, I'm not, I, I'm really confident that God's gonna go, Mike, I wasn't that good. You shouldn't have preached him that good. I don't think I'm ever gonna worry about that. I think he's gonna go, man, just like the Pharisee, I was way better than what you taught. I just believe that because Jesus comes and says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen who? The Father and the Holy Spirit is what it says, because it says, the fullness of the Godhead, who's in the Godhead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're all one, it says one, right? They're unified, they're unity, three who is one, right? It says, the fullness of the Godhead came bodily, meaning that, hey, you guys were missing him in scripture, but you can't miss Jesus, because he comes, and Jesus is perfect theology. You guys understand that? So this is just me. I think every scripture has to be interpreted through Jesus because he is the word of God, the logos of God, the logic of God that was made flesh so we could all see him. Does that make sense? And scripture says in time past, people talked to us in prophets, etc. but now his very son talked to us and we can't really miss him. So I would just challenge you, every scripture you see, you gotta interpret it through Jesus, okay? Because, and I still have to do that because I go through some scriptures and, and uh, I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus said I didn't come to judge or condemn anybody. Follow me? And he was the lamb who took away the sin of the, 
Entire creation is what it says. The sin program's over. Now, does the average person down the street have any clue about that, that they've been reconciled unto Christ? No, so he's given us the message, the good news. It says the gospel of what? Reconciliation. Gospel means good news. So he says, I've given you as ambassadors, as if you were me, I make you ambassadors of the gospel of reconciliation. Now, I've seen about 2,000 years of evangelism that causes a lot of atheists. I really have. You know, they go, this, they present this God who the world go, that can't be God because there's, they, they know in their heart that he's not that angry and mean. And so you got to look at Jesus is the true word of God that was made flesh. And so who was the most angry and gnashed their teeth at Jesus? The guys who knew the Bible. Because Jesus said, listen, you can't understand. You're, you know every word in there, but you can't find life because you don't realize those are types and stories that testify about me. Amen. So I'm just saying, is it possible? I, I want to show you, look for the meaning in Scripture, not exactly what it says. Because I, how many of you guys have heard this? The Bible says it, I believe it, that's it. That settles it. How many of you guys have heard that? Okay, all you men, how come you have all your eyeballs? <laughs> I wasn't asking to raise your hand. So... <laughs> But we're all in that boat. See, they, they thought they could do as externally. They completely missed him. And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, if you've even looked at a girl with lust, I tell, I'm telling you, before I was married, I looked at my wife with lust. I was like, whoa, baby. Yes, I like that. Right? But I still got both my eyeballs. So the Bible says it. I ain't doing that. Sorry, I guess I don't believe it. Follow me? See, we misinterpret scripture. What he was trying to show them, how do you guys know that the old covenant was still in effect because the, the death hadn't occurred. The, the testator, Jesus Christ, hadn't died yet. Every time when he's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he's preaching, he hasn't died yet. So was the old covenant in effect? Yes. See, Christians get confused. They go, okay, after Malachi, we start in Matthew. We're in the new covenant. No, you're in the new test. You're in the new, new part of the book, but the old covenant still applies. So he's talking to the people who thought they were in the kingdom by their own wealth, or by their own, yeah, they're, they're actually their wealth too. That's what he's talking about to the Jews who thought, hey, if I'm rich, then I'm in this deal. Does that, does that make sense? And he's like, beware of the riches. Guys, does, does he have any problem with you being rich in the new covenant? No, he said, I became poor so that you may become rich, amen? But they get confused because Jesus is criticizing these guys because the Jews thought, hey, you know what? Uh, we're rich, and so that must mean that we are righteous. That's how they looked at it. Deuteronomy 28, right? And Jesus goes, beware of that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. And in fact, he even prophesied. He said, when you go into the land in Deuteronomy, he said, you're going to think it's all about you, but I'm giving you the wealth because I promised I was going to give you wealth to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you're going to go in there and you think you're such a good Christian. Not a Christian back then, but I'm putting it in today's terms. You're going to think it was you why I caused this to be, why I caused you Jews to be wealthy, but it was just because I promised your fathers I was going to make you wealthy. So don't think it's you. Follow me? Anyway, you guys get what I'm trying to say, right? All right, so here's, Jesus comes and he says, listen, the kingdom is all about your, what? Heart. Heart. For 2,000 years, Christians have been trying to affect Christians' behavior and preaching behavior, haven't we? At least, at least, that's how I grew up. I grew up in Sunday school. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. What did it make me want to do? All of it. <laughs> I was a little, I was an ornery little boy, so boys are full of it most of the time, right? They're, they're full of life. So uh, as soon as, you guys all know that. It says the law was given so that sin would manifest, increase. So if you want a revival of sin, teach the youth not to sin. 
It's fascinating. But when you tell them the love of the Father, guess what? Their heart settles down. They go, man, I'm loved despite myself. Oh, I can finally rest. He loves me even though I've had somebody. Guys, they, they get, you guys know what I'm trying to say, right? But uh, so the heart. If we can heal our heart, we got everything. So let's go to this first slide. All right, I'm cruising. You guys doing good? All right, just a little. So here's what the early church fathers, and next week I'm gonna go through scriptures, probably like 30 of them, just blast them. And uh, you're almost gonna think that when he says all, it means all. In fact, you're gonna have to go, I guess he meant all. Because I'm just gonna go through it, and it, it, it's shocking, guys. It's shocking from what we've grown up with, I promise you. It's such better news than what we've grown up with, that Jesus actually thought he finished it all. He really did. So anyway, what the early church fathers taught was union, meaning union, hey, a joint heir, right? That we're now in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're one. It was all about family. John 1 says, in the beginning the, the, was the word, and the word was with God. It says pros, meaning in face-to-face with God, an intimate relationship. And then when Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree, what did God change? Does God ever change? No. But what were we taught that he changed? Yes, we were taught he's mad at Adam and Eve. But it's interesting because it says he is agape love, which keeps no record of wrong. So when did he keep record of wrong if he never changes that? Never has. That's what people don't realize. Is Adam and Eve's heart changed and they perceive God as angry now. And they ran and hid in the bushes. But God came just like normal and wanted to have a relationship with them. Right? Right? So they taught, really is about 400 AD when this whole idea of separation came. And really, go, if you go look at the church fathers, it came from Augustine, where there was a huge, uh, and this is what Paul was talking about to Timothy, to all, all the disciples, etc. He was going, listen, hey, fight for the faith once given you and beware of this philosophy, Timothy, that's gonna creep in. So the Greeks believed that God was over here and angry. In fact, if you, I mean, anybody into mythology? Like Norse mythology, Greek mythology. Yeah, you like some of that stuff? It's not bad, you know, even though the charismatics told you it was terrible. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's mythology. That's all it is. And there was, was there always an angry God up on the mountain? Yeah. Right? Thor, Zeus, whatever, right? And where, there was always this cosmic battle. There was this guy up on the mountain that was ticked, angry, and then there was always some kind of a serpent, worm, dragon that came out of the sea or the depth. Go look at it. Is it every mythology, right? So this really, this whole idea that uh, we were separate from God and he's up on this mountain that need to be appeased, the church fathers, the early church fathers, the apostles certainly didn't teach it. I'm just going to go through all the scriptures where, whether it's John, Paul, Peter, just, it'll shock you, honestly, when we, re- when we really get into it next week. But anyway, so we took about 400 AD, there was a huge church split. And really, Augustine, this Greek mythology came in and says, you're not part of God, you're separate from God. Isn't that what most of you were taught? That God's so holy, he can't look at sin. How many of you guys were taught that? Was Jesus God? He said he was the fullness of the Godhead in a body. Did he look at sinners? Where did he put on those airplane things so he didn't see? He went to the Samaritan woman and, with his deal, and the woman caught in the act, and he put on something so he didn't see? See the silliness that if we actually look at scripture, it falls down in a hurry, most of the stuff we were taught. So he went into the sinner's life. He goes, he became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. He, he came into our life. He died our death. It says as one man died, all died. But guess what? On the third day, we all rose. Hallelujah. And he poured out his spirit on the believers. It says all flesh. Woo. And if you go look in the Greek, you know what that all means? 
all of it. Hallelujah, man. Now, again, does the average sinner know that? <laughs> no. So what's the good news of reconciliation? He took away the sin of the world. He's not angry at you. He loves you unconditionally. It's the most simple gospel in the world to share. And guess what? The sinners rejoice. You know who gnashes their teeth? The guys who know every word in it. Yeah, but the Bible says, I go, I know the Bible killed Jesus. They use that scriptures against him. Amen? Because they can't believe, they, they didn't even dare write Yahweh. And so then he comes along and he goes, man, I call him dad. And even more amazing is you're going to call him dad. And what did the people who knew the Bible do? Kill him. Gnash their teeth is what it said. And here's another thing. If Jesus is the true word of God, who did he say, woe unto you? Scribes and Pharisees. So the judgment, the woes, the gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness, etc., that everybody's scared about in Revelation, Jesus is the true word of God. Go back and look at who he told woe. He was going to completely obliterate the thing that was holding man in bondage, and which was what? Which was nailed to the cross is what it says. The law of ordinances that was against us was nailed to the cross. I canceled that thing out. You're sinless now. You guys get it? He, all of his wrath and anger was against the very thing, sin, that was, it, he wasn't mad at Adam and Eve's behavior. He was at it, mad at, they were, there's, they've got this thing in them now that they can't have an intimate relationship with me and they don't know I love them perfectly. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so every religion has God separated from man. Man must appease this angry God. Follow me? Doesn't that sound like the Christianity we were taught? But I'm gonna show you in scripture, well, we went through a bunch of them two weeks ago where it says, John 3, 16, God so had to pour out his wrath on Jesus, he sent his son. What does it say? God so loved the cosmos that he sent his son. Doesn't it say that? All right, so you get that. So any, when we feel separate, when we feel that we're not loved, guess what happens to us? We hide, and then we create religious activities to creep back up to God. Don't we? So when we feel separate, what do we do? Instead of just relaxing and going, man, the, the king of glory is in me. This mystery that's been hidden from the foundation is Christ in me, the hope of glory. We become two have become one is what it says. He's in me, amen? And, and so we do all these religious activities trying to feel better and he goes, there's a rest in the new covenant. All you need to do is let me live my life through you. And it's okay. See, the dark parts that, that you think he's embarrassed about or you think he's angry about because he's so holy he can't look at sin. Um, was God holy before man was ever created? Well, was there sin before man was created? No. So his, his holiness have anything to do with sin? No. What Holy means unique, separate. Wow. That's unique, right? So what made him unique? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in a loving relationship. It's unconditional love that makes them unique. That's His holiness. That's what, makes, that's what sets God apart from anybody. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to give you rules. I came to give you the spirit that says, Dad, Abba Father. And our spirit, our human spirit, resonates with His spirit that we are sons is what it says. You guys get it? All right. You guys good? Okay, we'll hurry up. Next slide. I just want to, I want to incorporate this. Here's what's interesting to me. Um, you don't have to go read this, etc. I just love when science confirms the gospel to me. I love it. It's fun. Have, have you guys read this, the love code or the healing code? Here's what I love is, is they, they make some bold claims. And uh, like some of you guys know, we actually met, flew out and met with Dr. Ben, etc. But he said, we have a 97% success rate of people are willing to get rid of fear and, and 
um, and operate on his unconditional love. That's pretty high, isn't it? He said, in fact, the only time it doesn't work is when people just go, I reject that. That can't work. I'm too, I'm too lost. I'm too hopeless. My marriage is too far gone. My money's too far gone. I'm, I'm rejected. The human heart just has these strongholds. So here's what it says. It says, if you can get rid of fear internally and put in unconditional love, here's the results. Love, joy, peace. Isn't that what Jesus said the kingdom of God is? It's righteousness, peace, and joy, what? In the Holy Spirit. Follow me? It says it increases the immune function. Wouldn't that be good? I think so. Reduces stress, lowers blood pressure, counteracts addiction and withdrawal, stimulates human growth hormone, increases trust and wise judgment, modulates appetite, healthy digestion, metabolism, promotes healing, stimulates relaxation, stimulates nonsense. Oh, I'm so used to saying nonsense. It says non-stress energy. Stimulates higher neurological activity. I could use that. And opens cells to healing and regeneration. Isn't that good? Doesn't that sound like the gospel? It says this is the power of God unto salvation, not rules. See, once your heart gets healed and you go... He loves me perfectly despite me. So that deepest, darkest part that you think, gosh, I'm embarrassed. Why am I, if I'm still a Christian all this time, why do I still struggle with this sin, etc.? Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you that he loves you right there. Heal that part of your heart because when you get the unconditional love that he's not embarrassed by that sin of mine. He's not too holy, he can't look at it. In fact, he died. He says he's a high priest that understands exactly what I'm going through yet never failed. And now by the obedience of one man, you've been perfected for how long? Ever. He represents us between, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He shares his life with us. Does that make sense? So we're, it's crazy. It says we're seated in the high places, far above every other principle, far above all powers, far above everything. We're seated in the Trinity, in that perfect love. And just ask the Holy Spirit to, to share that love that the Father and the Son share. Let him just start doing that through you. Does that make sense? And all the other things you're trying to do by willpower, and I'm going to do this better in my business, I'm going to do this this year, and I'm going to stop doing this sin, I just don't think it works very well. When you just stop and go, Lord, you're going to have to do this for me, guess what? He loves to do it. Does that make sense to you guys? So the very, I would just challenge you in this. The very thing that you made a New Year's resolution about, stop and go, I'm done trying to fix that Holy Spirit. You fix it for me. I'm going to rest in your perfect love. Does that help? So I just wanted to show science. So, and I, I've been talking to this story about 10 times in the last 10 days. So I'm like, you know what? I better teach this because it keeps coming up. So 1 John 4, in this, is, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that what I just said? He wasn't angry. Why did he send his son into the world? His love for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest. We could see his love for us. Not he was angry and had to pour out punishment on his son. He loved us is why he sent Jesus. To conquer sin and death. Because that's what was holding us in bondage. Right? Okay. So, in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That, that literally means mercy seat. So he was the mercy seat. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. I, we covered this last week too, but I just want to do it. Because he's contrasting fear and love. Here's how I was taught. What's the opposite of fear? Faith. Right? And I see, try, <laughs> I see people trying to work up this faith. And they're, I, I can look in their eyes and go, I am so afraid, but I'm trying to act like I have faith. 
honestly, when I was, when, I, when, we had, when we had Word of Faith teaching at such, I saw people running around and yelling at mountains and everything else. And uh, never saw one move yet by this, for, never once. If you have faith as a mustard seed, then how big is all of our faith? Because he's not talking about a physical mountain, despite what the word of faith talked about. He's going, listen, that mountain's going to be made of plain because there's no separation between God. We don't have this Greek mythology that you think anymore. God's not born on a mountain. He's in you. So we're going to worship him in spirit and truth. So Jesus was going, if you have faith, if you believe I am who I say I am, that I'm the Messiah, you can say unto that mountain of religion, the whole Jerusalem complex, he goes, you can say of that mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. Sea was always where the dragon, the abyss, the everything came from, right? And then at the end of very revelation, it says, how much of the sea is left? No more sea. The place where all the evil comes from is no more at the end of revelation. Even that, that thing, that, legal, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents the legal system, was thrown into the sea, and now at the end of Revelation, there is no more sea. He goes, I'm gonna cancel that thing out, and now you're gonna worship me on, a, on equal planes. There's no mountains and highs and lows or anything, valleys like that, I'm in you. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? Okay, maybe not. You're all looking at me like, what? So, just, <laughs> I know all you word of faith guys, you're speaking to your mountain, I would just tell you, rest and trust the faithful one. Because even when we don't have enough faith, he remains faithful. In fact, we criticize the thing that it says, Lord, you know what? I be, I, I, I'm trying to believe. Help my unbelief. We criticize that. And I think that is one of the most beautiful scriptures I've ever seen because we can honestly be, be real with him and go, Lord, I don't have enough faith, but you do. So in my weakness, your strength is what? Perfect. Have enough faith for me. I'm going to trust in the faithful one that rescued me when I, when I had no possibility of being rescued. Does that make sense to you guys? All right. So, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Why can we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because you're in him. So as he is, so are we. So when we're judged, what happens? We're in him. So that's what, it, see, it's just such a setup. I'm gonna go through this next week. It says, the father doesn't judge anybody. He gave all judgment to the son. And then Jesus comes and he goes, I didn't come to judge anybody. Even though I'm the one who could judge, I didn't judge one person. So we can have boldness in the day of judgment because when he came and, and died, how, how, much of a, how many of us died? All. And then how many of us rose is what it says. All. So sin's been taken care of. So what's to judge? He's well pleased with us because Jesus is the only begotten son and we're in him. Two have become one is what it says. So there's only one begotten son and we're in him. That's the gospel. It's so good. Anyway, so as he is, so are we in this world. Isn't that good news? There is no fear in love. How many of you guys have taught this? If, if, if you got hit by a bus tonight, how many of you know where you're going to go? Does that just sound like a loving father or what? Is that just... It's scary. And that's why evangelism's caused atheists for 2,000 years, in my opinion. It says the goodness of God leads to metanoia, repentance. Amen? We got all this weird teaching. And he, it says, you know what? The gates of hell, he's got the, the, he's got the keys. He conquered it, and he's got the keys of Hades and death. What do you think? Jesus is the true word of God. He's perfect theology. Would he ever lock up the sinner? So you've seen him. 
Does that, does that make sense? You've seen the heart of the Father. So at the end, he says, listen, I got the keys. Woohoo, celebrate. And then we go, yeah, but. Anyway, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Doesn't, don't you, most of your definitions of you're going to stay in this rotisserie of flames for the rest of your life, doesn't that sound like torment? And he goes, my love doesn't have any torment. And I would go to the serpent, very Adam and Eve, who told you that? If it's causing any kind of fear, who told you that? Anyway, we'll go through all the scriptures next week. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him before he first loved us. You guys get it? So his whole point is, I want to get rid of fear. What does the love code say? Your income explodes, your relationships explode, your creativity explodes, your, 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 uh, uh, your immune system explodes when you get rid of fear and operate in unconditional love. In fact, I'm going to share one more thing in here. If you go look at, uh, when, they, when they get a hold of people, see, this is what I love, guys, is they take Christians, non-Christians, they take Muslims, Buddhists, it doesn't matter, and they get the same results. What does that tell you? The heart, right? And the very first thing, the seven principles of, of transformational aha he talks about is, it's never your fault. Whew, doesn't that sound like, man, you're free. And that says the, inter- the internal always creates the external, never the other way around. So I see, I see Christians run around trying to fix behavior and they get it into politics and everything else. And I go, how many laws have ever fixed behavior? Never. We got, listen, if we're, if we're seriously concerned about abortion, which I am, because, because I'm worried about the mother as well as the child, I go, we got to stop putting up signs and go, I hate you and God hates you. Does that make sense? What, how does that make her feel? Horrible. But there's no fear. You got blood on your... I hate that kind of teaching. Because she, they don't have blood. Despite everything you think, when that mother takes that life, does she have blood on her hands? No. He took away the sin of the world. Man, that is a gospel for that lady. Also, she can have rest again. Does that, does that make sense? Ha, huh, I'm just telling you, there will be buckets of tears there's, and so, it's never your fault. The internal always creates the external. What you really want most is never an external circumstance. It's always an internal state of the heart of love, joy, shalom, or peace. You guys get it? All right, so let's go through scripture. Okay, Woo, I got three minutes. You guys doing good? All right, so this is, what I, this is the one that I've been sharing with like 10 people this week. So I go, gosh, I better, you guys have heard me teach this, but there's so much wrapped up in this. So now early in the morning, he, this is the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Where is he? Temple, this is key. And the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Did the scribes and the Pharisees know what very well? The law. They knew the Bible very well, didn't they? But did they know Jesus, the true word of God? No. So then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Who is always the woman? Who is always the bride? You know who he caught in adultery? Us. We always want to put it on the lady and then cast the spirit of Jezebel out of her. So who is God irritated in this story about? Jesus is the true message of God. Who is he irritated at? The Pharisees. So, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to her, Teacher, this woman caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. I love this. This is how I teach it. They go, then the word of, then the, the Bible turned to Jesus, the word of God made flesh, and go, but what do you say? Because you're the correct interpretation of all scripture. That's what Jesus himself said. 
What do you say, Jesus? I kind of gave you a hint there. Jesus is the true word of God. All scripture has to be interpreted through him. All right, go to the next slide. This they said, testing him. They, they might have something of which to accuse him, but Jesus stood down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Okay, the law were types and shadows. Jesus is the, the title deed is what it says, right? The law, the old covenant were stories. Jesus is gonna fulfill them. You guys know how to interpret scripture? All right, so where was he when he's writing? In the temple, okay? Where else, how many times did he write, by the way, on the floor? Twice. So we go back to the old covenant, how many times, where else do we see somebody write on stones twice? Yoo-hoo, okay? So, and if you go look in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 24, it says, in the temple, when the old covenant was given, they wrote on the stones, and the stones were stones of, anybody know? Sapphire. That's why when, when Ananias, the gift of God, the grace of God, meets Saul of Tarsus, when the, when the gift of God, the grace of God comes, what happens to Saul of Tarsus? He can see. But when you mix Ananias, the gift of God, with the stones of Sapphire, Sapphira, what happens? It's like I did. I fell down on the stage yesterday, last week. Because I said, hey, I'm, I'm much more holy than you, and I fell down. Because like... Because, see, that was scary to me when I grew up. I was like, if you don't ever, don't ever lie to the Holy Spirit because you're going to fall down like Ananias and Sapphira. Then why are all not dead right now? Because it's not about that. You're missing the meaning. It says when you mix the law and, and grace, you die. But when you just have Ananias, you see something. When you see the grace of God, you go, aha. And you become the greatest evangelist and pre- Gentile preacher ever, Paul. But when you mix them, Guess what? You fall down dead. All right. So, first time Moses writes on sapphire, he comes down the mountain. What happens? I got to hurry, man, because I'm behind. They got the red flashing. So, you guys doing okay? (laughs) All right. First time Moses comes down the mountain, what happens? They're broken, right? (sighs) Moses gets back up the mountain, right? Does God write on the temple floor again? Does Jesus write on the temple floor again? Yes, do you see how he's fulfilling this thing? Right? So he writes on the temple floor, sapphire again. He gives Moses the commandments. This time he doesn't break one because they started with 15, if you've ever seen the history of the world. They started with 15. If you don't know that, just go watch it. It's really funny. It's Monty Python's uh, history of the world. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it makes me laugh every time I think about it. But anyway, um, see, I think God has fun. He's not religious. And Christians throw the worst parties, guys. I'm trying to change that. I just go, we actually want, I want to have fun because he comes and he, he's good. He throws good parties. Anyway, so Moses writes a second time and this time does he show the people the, the stones? The second time he comes down, what does he tell them to do with the stones? In fact, he tells them, don't show these to the people because these, these stones will kill them. Instead, he says what to do with the stones? Put them in the mercy seat. What's the mercy seat? Jesus Christ. Did Jesus break any of them? No. So here's Jesus fulfilling this thing. The first time he writes on the stone, he, he writes in the temple floor as though he did not hear. So when they continued to ask him, he raised him, said to him, who is without sin among you? Let him throw the first stone. He's the first time he's showing them the stones, isn't he? He's going, hey, you think, I wrote this thing. You think you can do this? And what happens first? 
Oh, did I skip some verses in there? Oh, different translation says, and the old went away first, right? The old guys went away first because they still had eyeballs and they looked at women and that was bad. So they go, yeah, you got me, uncle. So, all right. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So this is the second time he writes on the ground. So the second time that, that Moses, that God wrote on the stones and Moses came down, did he show them to the people? No, he said, these stones will never be broken because they're in my son, Jesus Christ. As if there's no judgment, I will not show these stones to the people. As if we've all unbroken because we're in Jesus Christ. You guys get this? So the first time everybody has to leave because all the legal guys had to leave because that's what the law, the first set of stones was to do. The second set of stones is as if they'd never been broken. And he was out sin, let him throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down. The second time he was written on stone and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by, oh, I did, I didn't keep going, sorry. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, doesn't Hebrews 10 say, if you know who I am and I take away the sin of the world, that your conscience will be sprinkled and you have no more conscience of sin? They don't get him, do they? Of anybody who should have got this. They should have. This guy, who's writing on stones on the temple floor twice? They, the Jews know the Talmud. They know the Bible. They should have known that he's, what was Jesus trying to show them? That I'm the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the, all those stories were written about me. I wrote on stones twice and I'm me. I'm the guy that, you wrote, that you're reading about, but you don't understand it. Right? Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Okay, next slide. We're almost done. And Jesus was left alone. So Jesus is alone now. No more law. Right? He's not showing her the stones, is he? And the woman standing in the midst, you and I, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither ought to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah, man. So why? This is where people can't get it. So the second time there were stones written, did he show them to the people? No, they were put in the mercy seat as if we've never sinned. The sin program's over once Jesus dies and rises again. I rose for your justification. Amen? I died for your sin. I rose for your justification. So he says, I didn't come to judge you. Now, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. So is the Father going to judge anybody? No! You get it? Who gnashes their teeth at that? The guys who know the Bible. Yeah, but the Bible says, the Bible says kill her. Jesus says, you're interpreting the Bible wrong. I don't kill her. Because those old things where he's angry and and mad, that's a type and shadow of of something that I'm going to actually do that brings life. The stones brought death, but I'm going to bring life. You guys don't understand this thing. You guys get it? (laughs) And I'm telling you, when I share this message with the sinner, you know how happy they are? Hallelujah. You know, when 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 I meet the elders, you know what they do? You don't believe the Bible. No, I actually believe it. You don't understand it. You believe it, but don't understand it, just like the Pharisees. He came to judge no one, is what it says. That is such good news. Why do you need an angry God in a hell so badly? I just, if, my, if he's unconditional love, why do you need it so badly? And if you want it, he doesn't say to go share it. He says, go share the goodness of God because it'll lead them to change. Why are you sharing the fear? That's all I would ask you. Why? I love sharing the goodness, not the fear. Amen? So, I didn't come to judge you. Go and sin no more. If Jesus came so we would never sin ever again, which is how everybody interprets that, how well did he do? Poorly, because I'm in it. And I'm sure I've messed up today. 
He's saying, the sin deal's over. You're free from the law of sin and death. Go, there's no more sin, there's no more judgment because I, I'm the guy who's gonna nail that to the tree. You guys get it? All right, this last verse. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. It says the light shined in darkness, but who, who could comprehend it? Who was in darkness? Who did Jesus say was in darkness? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. He goes, you guys are in darkness and they were gnashing their teeth. The guys who think they still have to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he goes, you guys are in the dark. I shined in darkness. My, my light doesn't change or have a shadow, like physical light. I pierce through everybody, but you don't, con- you don't comprehend it is what it says. I shine in the darkness. When it's the grace of God, when you can see God as unconditional love and grace, just like Saul of Tarsus, what happens? Light, right? When you mix <clears throat> angry old covenant Ananias with sapphires, what happens? It brings death. The law, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brings death, but the tree of life, who is, who? Jesus Christ brings life. So feed on that. That's what he's trying to say. Does that make sense? And it says, and he spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall no longer walk in darkness. Did the Pharisees and the Sadducees believe he was the guy who took away the sin of the world? No. So who was in darkness? They were. The people who didn't know one lick of the Bible, but they saw Jesus, were they in light now? Yes. So I don't, I'm not, you can go study the Bible all you want, but please study it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise you're going to have darkness. And, it's, and that's why Jesus says, listen, be careful how you judge somebody, because in the same measure you judge, ye yourself will be judged. Does it say he's going to judge them? No, I come to judge no one, is what he says. So who's judging who? Their own heart is going to judge them. Don't we see that? When we see people being critical of others, who's really condemned? They are. The old guys had to go away because they were using the law to judge people. And what happened to them? Ah, I feel condemned. And they, they left the light of the world. Does that make sense? But the sinners, they go, you mean I'm free, I'm sinless? What did they do? Hallelujah, they walked in light. You guys get it? All right, last page, get to your feet. I went a little long, where, how, where am I at? I went eight minutes over, you guys okay? Okay. Oh, this is what I want to get to you guys. I'm not trying to irritate you, honestly. Some of you guys that know the Bible really well, this ticks you off. <laughs> and I'm not trying to, honestly. I'm trying to give you, it's such good news. It's such good news. Just, is it possible that's what I'm saying is true? That's all I've got to ask you. If he really said, I didn't come to judge anybody. I didn't come to condemn everybody, but I came to give them life and life more abundantly. Can we just believe that? I came to give them life and life more abundantly, not earn it. Does that make sense? He's not an angry Zeus on the mountain that needs to be appeased with a sacrifice. He says, I so love the cosmos, I sent my son. So instead of fear, insecurity, rejection, hey, let your, see, this is the Vegas shooting right here. I guarantee you, but for the grace of God, there go every one of us. See, here's what people don't believe. Every one of us, if we were left to ourselves, can go do that. But for the grace of God, thank you that we we grew up in somewhat normal households. We weren't rejected as much as this guy was probably rejected. Honestly, their heart gets so hard, guys. When the heart gets hard and they're feeding from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the works of the flesh create what? Anger, murder, strife. Wasn't this guy angry and murdered a lot of people? And here's what I see all the time, and I just want to pull my little two hairs I have left, is... And we go, we need more God in this country. We got so much God in this country. Are you kidding me? 
all of Jerusalem had so much God in the country, but they, did, they killed the lover of humanity. They need the love of the Father. They need the spirit of unconditional love is what they need. That guy didn't kill anybody because there wasn't enough God in the country. There, I'm sure there were people walking, prayer walking, right up that street that day. Does that make sense? But I'm telling you, if you go to the sinner and go, man, he loves you perfectly. He died for you. He's not going to send you to hell. He died for you. Versus, if you, God, if you could hit by a bus today, where would you be? All of Vegas thinks they're going to be in hell. You don't need to scare them. It says the good news leads to repentance. Does that make sense to you guys? The good news is good news. Like, if you don't accept him and into your heart today, you're going to burn into rotisserie for the rest of your life. Does that sound good to any one of you? Just, if you never heard the gospel ever before, right? What does it create? Fear. He who still preaches fear is not what? Perfected in love. You guys get it? I don't know if you guys are getting this. You mad at me? No, okay. Oh, thank you, Lord. All right. So, that guy just needed to be accepted and loved, man. I'm telling you. Would, would it be perfect? No. Does he, have to, does he have to finally accept the gift of righteousness? Yes. But I got a lot better shot if I tell him he loves you perfectly. The world hates me. It's going to hell because I love him. No, no, no. I love you, man. And I know there's somebody that loves way more than I can. He loves you perfectly. Despite what you're, everybody told you, that is not true. That's not the father I know. You know what? All of a sudden their heart starts to get a little more soft. It's more fleshy versus stony. Okay? So your behavior never separated you from his love or blessings. Do you believe that? Did, there, did Adam and Eve's behavior ever separate them from God? Nope, he showed up on time. Who did it separate from? We separated from him. I'm just trying to tell you he loves you perfectly. He blesses you perfectly. He, he heals you perfectly. He does everything despite you. That is the love of the Father. Unconditional love. So in your deepest, darkest spot where you think he, Lord, I, I must be the cause of all this nonsense. He, I must be, uh, ask him to heal you right there because he is the lover of that. He is the lover of your deepest, darkest spot, I'm telling you. He goes, I came and I experienced all those things so I could go at your feelings so I can have the compassion of a father on you. Amen? Does that make sense to you guys? So Reg, you got something again, I can tell. You know, the elder son. Hold on. Can we grab a mic? This is uh, Samuel's. Talking to your head again? No. <laughs> this is Mike Forbud. Can we turn that one on? There we go. You finish it up. I like it when you finish okay. it up. Okay. The, the elder son was the one who was rejecting the father, you know, not the younger son. So uh, God, the father saying, I love you too. I, everything I have is yours. What is your problem? Why, why are you rejecting me? You know, so we don't want to reject you, Father God. We just... We just thank you for your son. We thank you that you're not angry at us. You're not mad. You love us with an everlasting love. You call us your beloved. What does that tell you? It calls, calls you, you are beloved. That's exactly what he called the son. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And that's what he's telling each one of you. You are my beloved sons and daughters. And I'm well pleased with you. So, Father, we thank you for the message you brought today. Lord, just let it, just, just let it go round and round in our hearts, Lord, and soften those hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.